We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. So good. Well, welcome to Red Sunday at Hope Church. I'm so glad that you chose to come to church today after you've been full of turkey and stuffing and jelly cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie and full of shopping. It's good to come to church and get full of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? And I've got a, a word for you this morning. I, I think we feasted on the presence of God a little bit this morning already, but I believe now that God has a word for us that he wants us to feast on and get full of. I love that scripture out of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says this in the Amplified Version. In every situation, and some of you right now, you're in a situation. You're in a situation right in the middle of it. It says, no matter the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Last week, I love Pastor Josh brought us an amazing message about having how to hear the will of God. And at first, that, that, the title of the message struck me a little fun day, funny. Fun day? Sunday fun day. It, it struck me a little funny. How do we hear the will of God? But it was an amazing message. But for many of us, we're always wondering, God, what is your will for me? Right here, Professor Paul tells us, God's will for us is that we be thankful in every situation and in all circumstances. So no matter what you're going through right now, God's will for you is that you would be grateful, that you would be thankful in the middle of it. Not waiting till you're on the other side of it, not because you haven't gone through it yet, but even in the middle of it. I've been through highs and lows. I've been up on the mountain. I've been down in the valley. And God wants us to praise him and thank him in all situations. Thanksgiving ain't just for one day a year. Thanksgiving is meant to be something that we do daily, every day and that we cultivate in our heart. I've got a message for you that God put in my heart called Social Distance Thanksgiving. Social Distance Thanksgiving. Now, during this crazy 2020, one of the things even that stuck out of me as we were watching football together as a family on Thanksgiving Day and seeing um, shows that my wife and I watch on Hulu and seeing how the media has slowly adopted like wearing face masks and distancing ourselves from people. There was commercials on Thanksgiving Day showing how family couldn't be together and governors for different states encouraging people not to be together, to distance yourself on Thanksgiving Day. And even though I understand uh, some of the logic behind it, trying to keep people safe, and we definitely want to do that, but one of my fears as a pastor is that over time, we will get used to distancing ourselves from people and distancing not and, and wearing masks. And the thing that doesn't scare me the most is wearing a physical mask, but over time, how we could put a mask over our soul that distances us from relationship to other people. And over time, we don't realize it, but we slowly become accustomed to it to where this becomes our new norm. God never intended us to be distant from each other or distant from him. And yet, we're going to look at a passage in Scripture this morning where that is exactly what happened. God blesses 
these 10 men and brings healing to their life. And even though God blesses them, nine of them find their way to distance themselves from giving thanks and showing gratitude to God. And for me and for you, I think if we're gonna draw closer to God and draw closer to each other, we gotta realize God made us for relationship. In fact, um, I was looking up the, the definition of social. Let me read you a couple of definitions. Needing companionship and therefore best suited to living in communities. Living or disposed to live in companionship with others in a community rather than in isolation. People are social beings. People are social beings. In other words, God created me and you to find our greatest fulfillment in life, our greatest joy, our greatest happiness in the context of relationship. And though we may not socially distance ourselves like we are today from people, we can easily do that in our heart towards God and towards each other. And so we're going to look at this passage of Scripture where Dr. Luke, in Luke chapter 16, is going to give us what I believe is the prescription. As we go into this holiday season, and even as we today celebrate what we call here at Hope Church Red Sunday, it's a day where we've had Black Friday, we've ate all the turkey, we've done the shopping, and now it's time to fix our hearts on the real reason why we celebrate the season. And the reason we wear red is because Jesus' blood ran red for you and for me, and none of us would be here right now. None of us would be doing this if it wasn't for his sacrifice on the cross. And I don't know about you, but I never want to lose sight of that. I never want to forget the great sacrifice that he made for you and for me so that we can be here together, we could do this, and we can experience Thanksgiving every day. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read this to you. The title of this passage is Jesus Heals Ten Men with Leprosy. And let me just frame this for you, because I think anytime we read the Bible, we need to have the right perspective on what we're reading. We need to frame it in a way that we make sure that we get the context for what's happening here and the true meaning that God wants to give to us. And so in this passage where Jesus heals the ten men with leprosy, you have to understand something. That leprosy was a disease that um, in some cases was deadly, but even more so, probably the, the thing that kills you the most was not necessarily the disease itself, but what it did to a person emotionally, mentally, psychologically, because what it did is due to Levitical law, which is the law um, of the Jewish people that God gave them, if you had a skin disease like leprosy, by the way, bonus um, for you this morning. L everything in the Bible has meaning. You know that, don't you? If I've taught you anything as your pastor, that sometimes you, you, take, you take God for his word, but you also realize that there's so much depth to the Bible. There's so much that we can unpack out of it. Every time I dig into the word, I could extract some new gold, some, something fresh that God can speak to me. And when we read about leprosy in the Bible, it was a real skin disease. But the greater disease is this thing that we call sin. And leprosy in the Bible is a type and shadow of what sin does to us. 
And so when we read this story, I want you to read it from two perspectives. Number one, the perspective of what this disease did to them. It separated them from people. It social distanced them from the closest relationships that brought joy and fulfillment and, and to their lives. Because when you had this disease called leprosy, you were forced to outside of the community. They made you, in fact, they, there was leper colonies, they called them, where people who had leprosy would gather together in community, all bandaged up, some more severe than others. But like I said, I believe that the greater a damage, not only to the skin that they had to deal with physically, but was the damage that it did to their spirit, to their soul. And what it meant to be, to be ripped away from your career, from your wife, your husband, from your family, from your own children, from your own home, from your own church, in your own community, and how living isolated like that, the damage that it did year after year. And for some of us, we may not have a physical ailment that separates us from other people that God has placed in our lives, but the damage sometimes that has been done to our soul through living life and the things that we've experienced and the things like we sang about today that the enemy tried to take you out and bring and hurt and wound and pain into your life so that it distorts the way that you see your life, the way that you see God and the way that you see other people. And you could come even religiously um, or ritualistically to a service like this and you could be in the middle of a crowd and be separated be distant, feel lonely, struggle to find joy in life. And I believe Dr. Luke is going to give us the right prescription to help us get free from this disease. He says this in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, oh man, I love this. Do you know that any time that you call on the name of the Lord, he sees you. He sees your pain. He sees you right now. He sees what you're walking through. He sees what you're going through. And his heart breaks. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. Now, that might sound a little weird to you and me, but what you put it in the context of, of the ritual that ha you had to go through from when you were cleansed from the disease of leprosy, you had to actually go to the temple of God, to the house of God, and show yourself. You had to strip down and get naked and, and be vulnerable before the priest so that he can look over, inspect you, and say, pronounce you clean. And then you could enter back in. You didn't have to be socially distant anymore. You could actually enter back into life. And so Jesus, when, when he says, go show yourselves to the priest, he's indicating that there's a possibility that maybe he's going to answer their prayer. But they had to do it in faith because they didn't see it right away. Do you know that sometimes the blessings of God aren't evident right away? But there's something that when God speaks a word, that there's something happening. Faith hears the word. And because of their obedience to the word of God, this is what happens. 
And as they went, they were cleansed. I love this. Man, this is one of my favorite scripture passages of scriptures in the whole Bible. A couple of weeks ago, I told you, uh, I brought you a functional faith message on how do we become holy. You want to be, know how do we become holy? This is a beautiful picture of how we become holy right here. They were cleansed as they went. As you walk in relationship with God, day after day, moment by moment, you get cleansed. More and more of sin, the residue of our past, and we become new people. And one of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. For some of you, this is your, the, the day that you come back. You come back to who you are. You come back to the realization of all God has done for you. He came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, again, that may not mean much to you, but Samaritans were Jewish outcasts. They also were not allowed to live with everybody. They had their own city called Samaria, and Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. So even the fact that Jesus healed this man and was um, engaging in relationship with him was forbidden. That wasn't something you do. Jesus should have backed up and said, oh, no, 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 you, you need to get away from me because you're a Samaritan. But it says, he says this, Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? And man, this is the part that really hits me. Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Man, actually, I felt like God wanted me to say this to some of you this morning and with that question, where's the other nine? I know you gave me 10%, but where's the other 90%? I know that you give because you're grateful of what I've given you, but are you willing to give above and beyond just the ritual? Are you willing to give six days? I know you came to church today. That's one day, but what about the other six? I know you gave me 15 minutes in the morning, but where's the other 23, 45? I know that you went to that connect group, but where's the other? I know Where's the other nine? So many times that we, we give to God and we think we've, we've done our part. We've showed him our gratitude. But God wants all of our heart. He wants all of it. He's not satisfied with just the nine. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, and you want to underline this, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go and go. Your faith has made you well. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the privilege and the honor of your word. God, thank you that sometimes we forget that there were men and women that died to bring us the word of God. There were people that were burned at the stake, that were beheaded just for getting the word of God in the hands of people. God, I thank you for the men and women who have risked their lives so that we could read and feast on your word this morning. Father God, I pray that your word would um, accomplish your will this morning for what you purpose. God, we thank you for the promise that says that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish what you set forth. So Father, right now I pray for every person listening online and in this room that you would open our hearts that we would receive everything that you have for us, God, and that you would use it to change us, to transform us. Holy Spirit, we just sang it, but I declare it. 
you are welcome here in this place. You're not only welcome, we're completely dependent upon you. We need you. I need you. I cannot preach this word without your help. So I fully surrender to you. And I ask that you would speak through me. Use me as a vessel today. Father, we lift up the great nation of the United States of America. Father God, I pray that revival would sweep over this great nation once again. That we would be a nation that repents, that turns back to you. That we would recognize the goodness of God on us. And that we would repent from our ways and turn back to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. I've got a couple of points for you this morning that I believe um, God wants to use in your life, in my life, to open our eyes, to see things a little bit differently. It's one of the things I love about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays, not just because I get to eat some amazing food and celebrate and be around the people that I love, but it's a day that we hit the pause button. And we take a day, it's supposed to be. And I'm so glad that Black Friday has been restored to some sense of normalcy again, where stores aren't opening on Thanksgiving Day and people aren't looking at what to buy on Thanksgiving Day. Can we just have one day without all the craziness of life that we hit the pause button and we stop and reflect on the goodness of God and the things that really matter the most in our life. That's what that day is supposed to be about. And I think in our consumer-driven culture, we've gotten so sidetracked and even getting on social media and looking at people who post things and being envious of what other people have and reminders of what we lack and what we don't have. And in the process, we, on a day that we're supposed to be giving thanks to God, we can actually come away feeling less grateful and feeling empty and with less joy. And so the first thing I got for you, when I look at this passage of Scripture out of Luke, this has always bothered me, and this is what's bothered me about this. How is it that 10 dudes who were jacked up with this leprosy and have been wounded, not, not just physically, but in their spirit, in their soul, separated from their community, got healed by Jesus, and only one of them comes back to thank him. How's that possible? How is it possible that only one of those dudes actually came back to express his gratitude? So here's my first point. Gratitude must be expressed through thanksgiving. Gratitude must be expressed through thanksgiving. I can't tell you. Now, I, I don't even know when I was thinking about th this scenario I don't think that these 10 guys, I don't even know if it'd be possible for them not to feel grateful. You know what I mean? Like they just got healed of this disease. It'd be almost impossible for them to not have the emotion of gratitude, of feeling gratitude. But how many of you know that it's one thing to feel grateful and it's a whole nother thing to express that gratitude to somebody or someone. I can't think of how many times in my life that I've, I've felt grateful, but because I didn't express how I was feeling in thanksgiving, thanksgiving is giving thanks, because I didn't actually give thanks to somebody or to God, I missed out on an opportunity to grow closer to somebody. 
I love what Brene Brown, Brene Brown, uh, she's an amazing lady. She's a, a social worker. She's done a lot of research on guilt and shame and the effects that it has on us. Um, she's also done a lot of research on gratitude and joy and the connection there. And she said this in his, her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. I love this book because the title might mess you up because you think, imperfection? How's that a gift? But actually, it's biblical because Paul said, he pleaded with God to take away this weakness, this thorn in his side three times. But God said something profound to him. He said, no, I'm not going to take it away. You're going to have to learn to live with it. You're going to have to learn to find gratitude in the middle of dealing with this weakness. He said, because in my weakness, he said, you're going to find out that I am all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. My power, my strength. And then Paul said, oh, when I got that, when I figured that out, I stopped asking God to take it away. And then I actually started boasting about my weaknesses. I started boasting about my imperfections because I realized that in my brokenness, in my weakness, that's where God can move the most powerful. That's where he can be the source of my strength. He can overcome my weaknesses. And it's not just about me and what I'm able to do. It's the supernatural power of God at work in me, in my brokenness, in my weakness, and in my imperfection. And so I can actually learn to celebrate them. Ooh, that's good. But she said this. She said, it seems that gratitude without practice may be a little like faith without works. It's not alive. Can I read that to you one more time? It seems that gratitude without practice may be a little like faith without works. It's not alive. Just like we went through this whole message series, Functional Faith. Listen, feeling grateful without expressing gratitude, thankfulness, it doesn't work. There's something that makes it real when you express it to somebody. And by the way, there's something that happens when you express thanksgiving to somebody else that draws you closer in relationship to them. Can I tell you the greatest, um, the, the, this Thanksgiving was probably one of my favorites. You want to know why? It was because of the way my day started. Not only did I open my eyes and got to sleep in, by the way, which is a small miracle. Um, not only did I get to sleep in, which I was grateful for, but when I opened my eyes, I smelt the aroma of fresh coffee. I smelt the turkey baking in the oven and all the smells of Thanksgiving. And even though the Macy's Day Parade wasn't live with people and all that kind of stuff, do you know what? Those things are all blessings. But you know what the greatest blessing was? As soon as I opened my eyes, my wife comes and jumps on me on the bed and gives me this big bear hug to the point I, I could hardly breathe. And she says, whispers in my ear, I'm grateful for you. And in that moment, none of the other stuff mattered. Now, keep it clean, people. She, we had clothes on and everything. This is church, okay? But in that moment... We just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Yeah, November 18th, 25 years. We had a trip planned and everything, just like those people, and to celebrate 25 years, and we had to cancel that and do something different, but there was a blessing in that. But 25 years, 
and it brought tears to my eyes. My wife would say, knowing all my stuff, all my imperfections, all my weaknesses, all the times that I said something to her that I didn't mean, shouldn't have said, all the fights, all the ups and downs, all the struggles, all the, all the things that we've gone through and the people that have left and the friendships that dissolved and the brokenness, through all of it, she could say she's grateful for me. And I loved it because 25 years ago, she made a vow to be with me in sickness and through sickness and health through riches and poor and all that stuff that when you say your vows. But in that moment, she wasn't saying it because she made a, 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 a religious vow to me 25 years ago. She said it because she felt it in her heart and she expressed it to me. And I, in that moment, my heart just overwhelmed and I felt so close to her. I felt so close to her. I love what Spurgeon says about these 10 guys. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says this, all 10 were willing to do a religious ceremony, that is to go to the priest, but only one was filled with true praise and thanksgiving. External religious exercises are easy enough and common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey ritual when only one praises the Lord. Nine obey ritual when only one praises the Lord. And I started thinking about how many times, because so many years ago, we made a vow to God where we surrendered our life to him. But I wonder if the reason that you're not closer to God right now is because you're like the other nine that forgot to keep coming back continually, praising God, thanking God, day after day, remembering exactly all the blessings in your life that God has in you. Maybe you're not in a place right now where you wanna be. Maybe things in your life, you're in the middle of some of those circumstances and you're going through some things, but you don't know what your life couldn't be. I hate that when insurance companies call things acts of God. I got news for you, Jake, from State Farm. Acts of God aren't just when a tree falls on my roof because of a storm. I wonder how many times acts of God are, God made that tree not fall on my roof. I wonder how many times that I missed that accident by just a hair. How many times could I have had cancer when I didn't? How many times that I was going through something physically and I thought I was gonna get a call from the doctor. I was on pins and needles waiting to hear the diagnosis and it wasn't what I thought it was. How many times, thank you Garth Brooks, do we give praise for unanswered prayers? The things that we didn't get, that we thought we needed, but God knew better. I'm grateful for the things that I didn't get that I thought I needed. God knows best. And I'm thankful for those things. Can I tell you this? Religion can never produce what only relationship can. Religion can never produce what only relationship can. Expressing gratitude draws you closer to the person that you're expressing it with. This is why we, we hesitate because we're not willing to make ourselves vulnerable and pride gets in our heart because we think if I make myself vulnerable and let you know I'm grateful for you, I'm thankful for you, and that I need you in my life, now I'm saying I, I'm, not, I'm not strong enough on my own. I actually need you in my life and I'm grateful for you in my life. I wonder, I thought about 
my wife waking me up like that, and I thought about how many times has the Spirit of God, I mean, I love that we sang this morning, help me be more aware of your presence. I wonder if some of us became more aware of the presence of God, we would actually experience more of his goodness more of his glory in our life. And I wonder how many times the Spirit of God was just sitting there waiting next to our bed for you to just open your eyes in the morning so that he could just jump on you and throw his arms around you and tell you how much he loves you and, and he, he wants to be with you and be in relationship with you. It kind of reminds me, that may sound silly to some of you, but I'm telling you, go to your Bible and read the story about the prodigal son. My Bible says that there was, a, there was a young man who took the blessing of God from the Father and he went and did what he wanted with it. Oh, Holy Spirit just told me to tell some of you took the blessing of God of salvation, but you've been living your own life with it. And some of you, today's the day you need to come back and thank the Father. And you need to return home. And this man, he took the blessing of God, the inheritance of God, everything. Do you realize how rich you are in Christ Jesus? Do you realize how much you have in Christ? That there's an inheritance. There's a blessing that comes with following God. There's a blessing that comes with obeying God. And this man, this young man, he takes the blessing of God and he goes and he lives and does his life apart from the Father, thinking that he could be independent, that he could distance himself from the Father until he gets to a point in his life where he wakes up in the middle of a, in a mud pit in pig dung. And it says that he came to himself. Some of you forgot who you are. And there needs to be a moment where your perspective changes. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. And you know what happens? He's thinking that he's going to get rejected from the father. Oh, man, I feel this so strongly. This is speaking to some of you this morning where you've kept your distance from God because you think God is mad at you. He's disappointed in you that you've got too much sin and baggage in your life. And he comes up sheepishly. I'm, I'm thinking over that hill. And it says, my Bible says that as soon as he came up over that hill, that the father was there waiting, waiting. As soon as he saw him and as soon as he saw him, he doesn't just wait for him to come to him. He picks up his robe and he begins to run and he throws his arms around his his son and he says come on my son who was lost is now found my son who was dead is now back alive with me and for that I'm grateful do you know that God is grateful for you he's grateful the question is how grateful are we there's something about that relationship that when you have that closeness, John 15, 11, when Jesus was trying to help his disciples to understand that the way that you find joy in your life isn't just from happiness, good things happening in your life. That's the problem. You see, these other nine, it says, my Bible says that they were cleansed. The Greek word for cleanse there means that they were actually physically healed, like physic, from their physical leprosy. But there's a difference between the nine who got healed physically and then went away from Jesus than the one who actually came back to Jesus to express his gratitude. Jesus said, rise, go in faith. Your faith has made you well. That word well is the word, the Greek word sozo. It means salvation. It means I've been not only saved, 
I've been not only healed physically, I've been set free, I've been delivered, I've been made whole. The one that came back, look, you gotta get this, the one that came back to express gratitude, he not only got physically healed, but he got healed on the inside. He got healed on the inside from the brokenness, from his past, from, the, from all the psychological and emotional damage that was done to his soul because he had to distance himself from people. Now he was not just set free from his physical ailment, he was set free in his soul. Come on, there's somebody in here this morning. God doesn't want you to just be saved from going to hell. He actually wants to sozo. He wants you to be made well. And when we return to give thanks to God, that continual coming, there's something that happens inside of our soul where God begins to work and he begins to heal. He begins to set us free in relationship, in closeness. He says in John 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The nine were happy. Can I tell you a secret? They were happy, but they didn't have joy. There's a difference. The word for happiness in the Bible is the Greek word makarios. It, it actually connotates like I came into a fortune. Like I had good fortune because I got an unexpected, uh, you know, inheritance or something, and I came into fortune. But actually, the word for joy means the continual completeness of something happening in your soul. So while the nine might have been happy because they were cleansed, after the happiness wears off, after a while they're going to realize that there's something still missing in my soul. Some of you have given up on Christianity because you experienced the initial freedom and happiness of being cleansed from sin. But joy only comes from continually walking with God and coming back to him and expressing your gratitude. And in relationship with him, there's something that begins to happen on the inside. God, joy is an inside job. Happiness is all about external things aligning with what you think you need and I need to be happy in the moment, but it's fleeting. It doesn't last. Joy, you can, you can find joy. That's why you could find joy in the middle of some adverse circumstances. It's one thing to praise God for the blessings that you can see, but what about the blessings that you don't see? You wanna come up to another level of joy? Begin to praise God before your breakthrough. Begin to praise God and thank him before you receive the blessing. Praise God and thank him before you even realize what God is doing in your life. I love Jonah. I love Jonah because he was stubborn, and I can relate to that. And God told him to go do something, and he said, no, I ain't doing that. And God said, okay, have it your way. Are you going to get swallowed up in a whale? And so Jonah is in the belly of the well, and things are not going well for Jonah, okay? But I'm telling you, even in the middle of the belly of the well, Jonah could have had a positive outlook on life, even though his life was probably going to die. I mean, think about it. He's in the middle of this well, and he's probably hungry, but at least he's at Charlie Whale's Super Sushi Buffet. I mean, he's got seaweed, he's got tuna, he's got shrimp, 
He's got everything except God can you make him swallow some wasabi. And then we're all good. I'm going to eat. I'm going to die. And it's all going to be good. But Jonah is in the middle of the whale in, in the dark. And his life is hanging in the balance. And he repents. He has a change of perspective. He starts to understand. And he says this in Jonah 2.9. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation and deliverance belong to the Lord. Come on, some of you today, you need to say, I don't care what my, my wife is doing. I don't care what my husband's doing. I don't care what my kids are doing. I don't care what my neighbor's doing. But as for me, I will make a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Come on, this is, the, this is, this is where you thank God even though you don't see it. So it's one thing. God loves it. Don't get me wrong. God loves it when you praise him and thank him for the blessings that you can see in your life. But you want to come up to another level in your relationship of gratitude. Start to praise him in the middle of the storm. Start to praise him before your breakthrough. Start to praise him in the middle of addiction. Start to praise him in the middle of depression. Start to praise him in the middle of anxiety. Start to praise him when you lost your job and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Start to praise him in the middle of your broken relationship. Start to praise him when you got the divorce papers in front of you and you don't know how you're going to recover from this. Start to praise him when you get the pink slip. Man, God loves that kind of praise. The second thing that we need to do, because this doesn't come easy. In fact, you have to be very intentional about it. A lot of psychologists, there's, there's a term called the negative bias that all of us have. See, gratitude isn't natural. You actually have to cultivate gratitude in your soul. And so the second thing that we need to do to have a thankful heart is gratitude must be cultivated. Culti cultivation is, the Bible uses uh, what term? Planting terms. What's the, what's the term for when you, vegetation? Come on, help me out here. Horticulture, whatever. They use uses terms of, of the word of God being like a seed and the soil of our, our heart being like our soul. And, and this word cultivate, if we're going to allow gratitude to build up in our heart, you have to cultivate it. That takes intentionality. It takes practice. It takes things daily in our lives that we're tilling up loud in the spirit of God to till up the soil of our heart and to weed out the rocks the places where we've grown hardened to see the blessings of God and to see other people with gratitude to pull up the weeds the things that we've allowed in our life to get in the way of us seeing things the right way I was thinking about this the other day because um, for those of you who are newer to Montana that came during the summer and decided to move here well, guess what? You got a winter to deal with. It ain't sunny and beautiful every day like you thought it was going to be. But you move here, and we have a little saying about the weather here, wait long enough and it will change. And so last week, I experienced that. I was sitting in my chair in my house. We have some big windows that face towards the east, and you can look out over the beautiful mountains, and we're very blessed to have that beautiful view. But if you go to the front of our house, the front of our house faces uh, west. And I've got some big pane windows in our dining room, and you can look out there. I'm looking out towards the east side out of my living room windows, 
And, and out this side, I couldn't even see the mountains. It was dark, it was dreary, there was clouds sucked in, I couldn't even see the mountains, couldn't see any sunrise, nothing. It looked like, man, I thought to myself, it's gonna rain or sleet or snow today, it's not gonna be a good day. And then I turn around and I look and out my front window, it looks blue and sunny. So I go and I open my front door and I walk outside and sure enough, it's blue sky, big puffy white clouds with little fat cherubs playing harps on them and blue sky, sun's out beaming. And what I realized is even though out this window, it looks dark and dreary, that's what's coming this way. I just haven't realized what's coming yet. Some of you have been looking out the wrong window of your life. The way that you cultivate gratitude is you have to change your perspective on the way you see things in your life. And some of you have been looking through the wrong lens, just like I'm wearing glasses and it's a prescription for helping me to see right. Too many of us, we don't have enough gratitude in our life because when we look out the lens through our soul, do you know that all of us, we've been shaped and have a paradigm that we see things and see life and a filter over our heart, a mask. This is, this is part of the danger. I know we wear masks on the inside, but I think too many of us have been wearing masks on the inside and it's been blocking the way that we see and perceive life and people and relationships and God and ourselves. Too many of us, we've been looking out the wrong window. We've been fixated looking out through the pain, window pane of disappointment, the window pane of my past, the window pane of rejection, the window pane of insecurity, the window pane of, of brokenness, the window pane of addiction, the window pane of fear and anxiety, the window pane of depression, and we need to fix our perspective. But you can't fix your perspective without fixing your eyes on the one who can change your perspective. So I've got news for you. It doesn't matter as much what you're facing in your life right now is who you're facing. You could face some of the most unbelievably hard circumstances and things in your life and still praise him because of the one that you're facing. Hebrews 12.2 says this, if y'all put that up. It says, it says, looking away from all that will distract you to Jesus, who is the leader, and check this out, the source of our faith. He's the source. See, we forget who's the source of blessing sometimes. We mistake the blessing for the source of blessing. So I could go to the grocery store and thank God for Albertsons. No, Albertsons didn't make this food. There's a farmer somewhere that toiled and sowed seeds and watered and cultivated the soil. And, and even beyond that, he wouldn't even be able to grow the crops if it wasn't for the source that God provided the rain. God provided the sunshine. So sometimes we can mistake the blessing for the source of the blessing. Some of you have been thanking your boss for your job, and that's good, but you should be thanking Jesus for your job because he's the source of your paycheck. 
But there's some things that distract us. Looking away from all that will distract us to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive on our belief, and it is also the finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him. See, you got to understand something. The way that Jesus went through incredibly painful circumstance is he kept his eyes fixed on his purpose. You could go through pain if you realize that God's got a plan and purpose through it. That's what we sang today. And sometimes we don't see the right way. We got to change our perspective if we're going to see things the way that God sees them. And then I get to a place where I could thank God when I'm in the middle like Paul, hanging in chains. Look what he says in Philippians. Do you know that Paul wrote the book of Philippians from a prison cell? It's called the, the book of joy. Philippians is called the book of joy. How is it that this man can find joy in the middle of a prison cell? Look what he said from a prison cell. Finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure, whatever is wholesome, whatever is lovely, whatever brings peace, whatever is admirable and of good repute, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, I'm going to find that thing. And that takes work. you got to cultivate that. i got to look for the good things. Man, you, you listen to the news, you pick up the newspaper, and all you're going to see is negative, negative, negative. It's going to feed into that negative bias where we're, we all have this bias towards negativity. That's why when, when the political ads were all coming out, one thing that drives me crazy is they don't tell you what good they're going to do. Like, you didn't tell me nothing about what you're going to do. You're just pulling out all the garbage and negative stuff about your opponent. Why do they do that? Because we have this tendency to remember the negative more than we do the positive, and you got to cultivate gratitude inside you by fixing your eyes on the good things in your life, not just the bad. That's why we got a little practice in our Danik household that I want to bring you into this morning. And oftentimes in my life, when I lose sight of, when I lose sight of what God is doing, all I can see is the lack. I look at my life and I get on social media. Paul's saying, all that distracts us from staying focused on Jesus. There's so much to distract us. One of the, two of the biggest things that will distract us from having a heart of gratitude is number one, is fo focusing, fixating on my lack. The second thing is looking at other people and what they have and comparing what they have to what you don't have. And when we do that, we're not cultivating gratitude, we're actually cultivating envy and jealousy for wanting something more out of our life and not being content and our heart can become hardened. I want to read to you. There's this book that was written by an author. Her name is Lynn Twist. She wrote an incredible book called The Soul of Money. And in this book, she addresses the myth of scarcity. Listen to this. She writes this. I want to read it to you because I think it will resonate to most of us. It did for me. For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. 
The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough exercise. We don't have enough work. We don't have enough profits. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough wilderness. Everybody in Montana said yes and amen to that. We don't have enough weekends, of course. We don't have enough money ever. We're not thin enough, we're not smart enough, we're not pretty enough, we're fit enough, we're educated, we're successful enough, we're rich enough ever. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. What begins as a simple expression of the hurried life or even the challenged life grows into the great justification for an unfulfilled life. And she goes on to say this, the, the author of this, as I read this passage, it makes total sense to me why we're a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude. And so you know what I do? Is there are times where my perspective gets skewed and I don't, I don't see the blessings in my life. I don't feel the gratitude in my heart. I just look at my jar and like the widow to Elijah, when Elijah asked her because she lost everything and she thought she had nothing left. And Elijah asked her, what do you have in your house? And she said, I have nothing, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to give, I've got nothing to live off of. I got nothing, my jar is empty. And then he asked her again, and she says, wait a minute, let me look a little bit closer. And she looks at the jar and she says, you know what? I actually think I got a little bit of oil. And Elijah says, you know what? You got a little bit, that's all God needs to work with. You got a little bit of gratitude in your heart? Just give it to God and watch what he can do with it. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go around to your neighbors and I want you to collect all these empty jars. And I want you to take the little bit that you have and I want you to pour it out into the empty jars. And something supernatural began to happen. As she began to pour out what she had, the jars began to fill up. God told me to tell some of you, if you would be willing just to give out what God has blessed you with, no matter how little it is, he's gonna pour out a blessing that you can't contain. It's gonna be pressed down, shaken together, over full. And so when I look at my life and I don't see the blessings, you know what I do? We have this tradition that my wife and I do that every time that we've gone somewhere on a trip. In fact, researchers will say this, the difference between short-term memory and long-term memory is experience. It isn't things, it's not your car, it's not your home, 
it's people, it's memories, it's moments. It's moments in time that get ingrained in our memory that we could so easily forget. The greatest blessings aren't the things that I have in my life. Yes, I could thank God for them, but the greatest blessings are the everyday ordinary moments. In fact, they, they interviewed people who were on their deathbed and they asked them, what are the things you're most grateful for? And you know what they said? It's just sitting at the table and eating cereal with my son. It was that moment where we were just raking leaves together and we just struck up a conversation. When we were watching that football game on Thanksgiving Day and we started talking about his future. And we keep these cards because these cards are cards from places that we visited, hotel rooms. And we write on the back of them things so that we remember what they're for. Like this one. This is from the come on in. This was a getaway with my, my mom. She always tells me, you never took me to Missoula. Well, we took her to Missoula with our kids and we had a time in the hot tub with our family. I'll never forget that. This is from my buddy James' 40th birthday when we celebrated at the lodge. This is one of the first family, second only family vacation when we went to Cabo as a family in 2018. These are from a cruise that my wife and I went on when we went to Baton Rouge to celebrate our anniversary. And we got to meet the bourgeois. And we spent the weekend with them. And we knew, we left, we left Baton Rouge that weekend knowing that we had found our people. This is from Valentine's Day 2019. And as I look at these, it brings back the memories. And my jar isn't empty anymore because it begins to fill up with gratitude because I begin to be thankful for all the times that I've had. The time that God touched me at Vienna, Awaken Europe in Vienna. The night away that we got to have in Fernie. The time we were in Missoula. The time that Mary Terrell lost her brother and we stayed as a family together at Universal Orlando and even though we were grieving, we were together as a family. And the time that we got to get away, all these things, they begin to fill up my jar and, I, I, and it's not so empty anymore. I got memories. I got things to be grateful for that I didn't remember, but I needed to bring back to memory. And God is so good to me. He's blessed me with so much. And even 2020 has been a weird year. I'm telling you, at least I'm standing here and I got my health. I got my wife. I got my children. Devil, you try to rob, steal, kill, destroy. You try to take me out in ministry, but I'm still standing and I'm still serving God and I don't care. I'm going to praise God. Some of you need to stand to your feet right now in this moment and give God praise for not just what he's blessed you with, but the things that you don't see. The, the breakthrough that you don't see yet, that you know is coming in faith. I'm going to obey you, God, and I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to praise my God because he's worthy. He's worthy of praise. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com slash give. Also follow us on social media at Hope Church MT. Be blessed and have a great week.